Well, good morning. Happy New Year. I tell you, it is good to be out of the house. This is the first time I've left my house in seven days. I've been sick. Oh, I, I, I was on a trip and I got back and I went to bed and I haven't got out of bed. I, went, I got up one time to go to the pharmacy. That was it. I'm not contagious anymore, but I have that weird flu uh, that's going around and and I haven't been able to study at all this whole week. I couldn't read, couldn't focus. I have, a, a, um, I have a bad ear. And so when I get sick, uh, I get dizzy. And sometimes I actually get vertigo. It's kind of a fun thing. And the reason I tell you that is twofold. One is um, I was able to get here early enough to, to put together a message I got right here. <laughs> and uh, so we got something to talk about today anyway. And the other reason is if, if I if I'm, up, if I'm pause up here and or actually kind of lose a little something, that's okay. You just do what my kids done over the years when I get dizzy and then vertigo. You just point and laugh. <laughs> it should keep uh, today's lesson somewhat exciting. We don't know how it's going to end. Okay. So let's see what happens. Happy New Year. New Year, new life. Get to start over. And today, if this is a great time to come to Grace Covenant Church, we're going to talk today about the purpose of the church, because there is nothing like the local church. There is nothing like the church on planet Earth, nothing with the wonder and the beauty and the splendor and the power and the love. The, the, the potential of the local church is like nothing else in the world. It, the local church is the expression of Jesus Christ on Earth. That's what the church is. It is the organism, it's a living thing that the Holy Spirit chooses to work in to do the will of the Father. That's what the church is. And then we're going to talk about what the purpose of the church is today. This is the vision of Grace Covenant Church. It's been uh, the vision since it's, the church started 50 years ago. It, it has been the beacon that uh, we have used to make our decisions. It's been the North Star for for what we've set our boundaries to and what we've set our sights on for 50 years. This is it. Matthew 28, Jesus, and then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'll be with you always, even to the end of this age. Now, that paragraph is called the Great Commission because the king has returned from his conquest of sin and death, and he says, this is my commission to the world or to the church to do this for the world. And, and, and why would he say that? Why would he say this commandment, this commission? Because this is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. This is the fulfillment of what God had in store for us from the very beginning, to make things right again, to make things new again. So Jesus, in the context of having all authority that has been given to him on heaven and on earth by the Father, he says this, go and make disciples. Make disciples of Jesus. That's his commission. That's the purpose of the church. So what's a disciple? Now, the people that heard that, they knew what a disciple was, and so... You know, let's, let's, we're going to spend some time today defining what a disciple is so that we can maybe more appropriately apply it to our lives. A disciple, when you 
to be a disciple of someone means that you would be like that person. That's rather simplistic, but it's, it's actually true to be like that person. When, when a teacher or, or a leader would say, I'm going to make these disciples, these people would take on the mannerisms of that teacher, of that leader. They would um, certainly take on his habits and his, his or her you know, ways of doing things, but the idea was the values, the, tree, the truths that that person believed in, even the speech patterns. As a matter of fact, there's two occasions in the Bible where people are accused of being disciples of Jesus because they have, like, this Jesus style about them. There was something about them, their vocabulary, their mannerisms, their values that said, you're a follower of Jesus. You're, you're following that Nazarite, right? See, you're like that person. So, to be a disciple, simply put, is to become like Christ, to become like Christ. Now, for the longest time when I was uh, new in the faith, to, to be Christ-like was always a difficulty for me because I thought, well, I mean, he's Jesus, you know, to be like Jesus. And, and, and as much as I would love to, like, walk on water, it's just never, ever going to happen. And then I was reading some books and realized that... It, when we say we want to become like Christ, it is not like the divine nature of Jesus. Jesus was God. But it is the human nature that we're supposed to be like. In the Bible, it says that Jesus is called the second Adam. And what it means is, by calling him the second Adam, is he is like Adam before he was bent. Jesus is unbent. To become like Christ, become like Jesus, is to become like who you were meant to be. It, was, it would be to be, when we become like Christ, we are becoming like the way we were designed, the original design, because we were not ever designed to be afraid. I mean, think about that. We weren't, this isn't the way it's supposed to work, right? We weren't, you, you can't imagine God designing us to be self-consumed, where everything is about us somehow, somehow us getting what we want or what we need. But actually the design is to be like Christ, is to be focused outward towards other people, to be caring for other people, to be serving other people, and to be living our lives for a purpose beyond ourselves. And so, so you can see why, you know, why would Jesus, upon his resurrection from the dead, say, Go make disciples of all nations. This, this, to be a disciple is this, this is the only hope of the world. Because the hope of the world is this, that, that all mankind would be returned to its original design, that each and every single person would be like Christ, becoming like Jesus in all the way that, that they live their lives. And so the purpose of the church is to go and to make disciples to be a disciple and to make disciples so that we were, I guess, on our way back to Eden. Wouldn't that be a delightful thing to be who we were meant to be? And if you look, at, if you look even at the life of Jesus and his disciples, right, just the men that, and the women that followed him, you can see that he took what they were bent and, and brought them to what they were to be designed to be. And so they started off as famously uh, cowardly men and women, or men anyway. And, and after Jesus has spent time with them, they are courageous, giving their lives for Jesus. 
They, if you look at their, the way they view life, their worldview, all they saw were the physical things around them. All they saw were the problems in front of them. And then they become spiritually centered people where they can see things that, that are unseeable. They can see the power of the principalities and the powers, the, the whole spiritual world that's going around them. They become people that pray. You can see the men that follow him, they become like Jesus, the way they were meant to be, where they weren't consumed with their, the circumstances around them, but rather in, about the presence of God with them. And so when even they were persecuted or in jail, they found themselves praying and singing hymns, enjoying the presence of God. So a disciple is becoming like Jesus, but we're going to add this to it because because this, it needs to be. A disciple is this, look what it says, becoming, become like Jesus, be, become like Christ in all of life. And we've, we've added this definition, this adds aspect to, to the definition in all of life is be, because we are famous for compartmentalizing this become like Jesus, become like Christ. We can, we can compartmentalize it in that sometimes we're quite famously like Christ, at work, and everybody knows this to be a God-fearing man or woman or whatever it might be, but when we come home, it's a whole different self. It's a different type of person altogether. Again, it's this person that comes home and puts their feet up and wants the world to wait on them. Or sometimes it's the other way around, right? We can be a good uh, husband or wife or a roommate or whatever, but when we're at work, we're, uh, you know, known for sulking and being lazy or something like that. That's, that's one way of not being becoming like Christ. Other ways we compartmentalize is uh, the, the way we break up the soul, which is not biblical at all, but sometimes we can, if we, if we know a lot. So we know Bible passages and we know scripture and doctrine, but there's no aware, like awareness to emotions and we're tone deaf to relational relationship depth. We can't go deep in relationships. That's the part that needs to be become like Christ. And then, of course, sometimes, you know, there's seven seasons in a person's life, and with each season, there are new challenges, and to become like Christ in all of life, we have to apply a new depth of understanding of the promises of God to this new season of life, because if we don't, we become stagnant, we become not vitalized, we stall. You can't live in your 30s on the faith of your 20s, and so on. So... We're going to define what a disciple is here at Grace by saying a disciple is a person is to become like Christ in all of life. And it was the way we were meant to be. And if you're, just, if you're nothing more than an American pragmatist, this is how life works. Honestly, this is how life works. It's, it's, it's owner's manuals kind of logic here where if you want to be a good husband, be a Christ-like husband. If you want to be a good boss, be a Christ-like boss. If you want to be a good um, child at home, be Christ-like at home. It, it's what works because it's part of the design. It's, it's to become like Christ in all of life. Here it is up on the screen again. I want you to repeat it after me. A disciple is become like Christ in all of life. Let's say that together. In all of life. It, it's, it's the goal at, at this church, it is the goal that every single person would be a disciple. 
It is the goal of, at, at Grace that every single person would be in the process of making a disciple. In other words, bringing someone else along in this process of becoming like Christ. That's the goal. That's what we do here. That's what we've been doing here for 50 years now. We'd like you to join us. How does that happen? How does a person become like Christ in all of life? Well, there's three elements that are involved in this. It's, it's going to look like a formula. Well, I guess it kind of is. It's a, it's a way of becoming like Christ. Three elements that are absolutely necessary. They're, you, can't get, you can't reduce it to two. The first one is truth. The first one is truth. If you want to become like Christ in all of life, you're going to need truth. You're going to have to think differently. You're going to have to think like Jesus. And what that means is, is that you have to actively, it doesn't happen passively, you have to actively challenge all of your values, your habits, even your temperament, and you, you have to say, look, wh- why do I believe these things? Are they true? Is this a tr- our, my, our life has to be built on things that are true. Watch in this one verse in 2 Corinthians where Paul is talking about this idea of, of, of being defined by truth, but look how violent the verbs are, okay? Excuse me. In 2 Corinthians 10, he says, we demolish, we demolish arguments and every, and every persuasion that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, that's truth, right? And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Okay, the, the, look at the verbs there. To, to demolish and to take captive. It says take captive every thought. In other words, if you could just imagine for yourself a thought that comes through your head, a, a thought that's dominating your life, and you just you sit it down in a chair and you zip tie its ankles and its wrist to this chair and you stand over this thing and you take that thought captive. You're in charge of the way you think. And you stand over that thought and you just say, well, what is this? Is this, it, this has been, you've been running around in my head rent-free for 17 stinking years. And according to the passages that I can see in the Bible, the promises that God says that are true, you're a lie. And what does it say you do? You demolish these lies. And you stand over this, this thing that's been ruling your life and you demolish it with the promises of God. That's what it means to live by truth. That's what it means. When you, if you want to be, become in, you know, in the likeness of, of Christ, you have to start there. You know what most people do? You know what we do with our lives? With our lives? We sit them down in like the easy boy, right? Hey, can you let, me put your, let me put your feet up. Hey, can I get you something to drink, some iced tea or something? Let me rub your shoulders. You're wrecking my stinking life. But, you know, you're part of my life. And, and this passage says here, we demolish these lies, we exalt the truth. It says we take captive every thought and make those obedient to Christ. Are you being defined by lies? You, you give power to the lies that dominate your life. This is not easy, okay? It's, I don't know, honestly, this is one of the hardest things you'll, you'll do, in life is to take captive every thought and demolish these things that are lies. But you, listen, you owe this to God. You owe this to the people that love you. 
you owe this to yourself to, to take every thought captive. And if it's a lie, you spit on it. And you dance on the grave of the power it used to have on you. Because what most people do in the church, and the reason primarily they're not being in, you know, in the likeness of Jesus Christ is because they say, well, I had this event in my past. Well, it was 32 years ago. Yeah. And, and what? It's, you're, still, you're still bringing it tea. You're still rubbing its shoulders. Well, that's the way I was raised. Who cares? Who, it, was it true? This, the, the words that you're playing back in your head, are those words true? Then take them captive and demolish them. Well, that's just the way I'm made. The way you were meant to be made or the way that you're bent. And so we, we, we passively give up this, this, this first beachhead of truth and we live our lives based on these lies. And friends, don't, don't watch another movie about courage. Don't read another book about courage where you get to live vicariously through someone else until you're willing to take this challenge. This is where courage is, where you take thought captive and you demolish lies This is what you trust God for. You trust God for his promises and his truths and not the lies that you've believed. I mean, frankly, most people, they're trusting God for their safety. They just want to be safe. They want to be comfortable. Who cares? How about you trust God for this changing of your view on what is true, what is right, what is real? Here's, how you, here's, you're like, here's a way to do that. You take responsibility for the lies that you believe. You could go to someone that you love, maybe someone in your family, and you say, you, say, you know what, I, I realize that you have to live with the consequences of me believing in a lie. And my insecurities keep overflowing into your life, and I'm always making you do things for me or live around me because I am so insecure. And now I'm starting to believe in what Jesus Christ has told me to be true, and I am, I am secure in that. I, am, I have no shame. I have no shame, and I will not live a life like I'm shameful anymore. So, so you say to this person, Can you, could you forgive me for acting shamefully and projecting that on you, having you to live that way? How about you and I work together to reprogram the lies that I'm believing? So the point is this. If, if you're going to be like Christ in all of life, you're going to have to think like Christ in all of life. It's going to be based on truth. You'll have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's right out of the Bible. You must be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to think differently. The second element in being a disciple to be like Christ in all of life is you're going to need help. You're going to need a relationship. It's truth plus relationship. We were designed for deep relationships. Going back to the original design, we were designed to have intimacy with one another. We were designed to have safety because of the truths that we believe and the security that we can have conversations with some people 
that are risky but worth it. As a matter of fact, brain studies, like literally physical brain studies, have been shown that people with deep friendships are able to thrive in performance. Their creativity is expanded. The problem solving is increased. Their energy levels are more than doubled. Their immune system works better. They're able to recover from illness because of close friendships. As a matter of fact, Henry Cloud, he's a popular psychologist, he says the brain runs on three things, oxygen, glucose, and relationships. He said there's an invisible, immeasurable aspect of brain chemistry that's love, that's love. And they can't explain it, but they keep doing experiments to prove the fact. There's one that's rather famous, I think I've used it in here before, where they put these monkeys in these cages in isolation, and then they traumatize the monkeys. You know, they, they shake the cage, they're banging cymbals, they're flashing lights at them, and they're trying to get them to a, a level of extreme stress, okay? And then they do brain chemistry, you know, evaluations, and they're trying to get that brain chemistry to the point where they go to survival mode, where, you know, the brain starts shutting all the other parts down, and it just goes to fight or flight, okay? So they're able to do this with these monkeys, easy to see, right? Just, you know, a day, a day at work maybe, <laughs> right? Um, and uh, and so, so they did this, and, and, and then they said, okay, let's, let's, add a, let's add something. And the, they didn't add, you know, Xanax. They added one thing. They opened up the little cage, and they put a buddy monkey in there. So the monkey had his buddy in the cage, and then they did the exact same experiment, okay? They'd rattle the cage, cymbals banging, flashing lights, all that kind of stuff. And the, and the stress level in the brain chemistry was dropped below half just by having his buddy, his monkey buddy, in the cage with him. And the point is, misery does love company. I mean, actually, misery needs company. And the reason I'm bringing this to you is to show you that we were designed to have relationships that are deep. Do you have a monkey? You're going to need, you need a monkey, a monkey buddy. Real, and listen, when we talk about relationships, it's, it's pretty easy to see that, you know, Aristotle is famous for his three different types of friendships. In a, in a room like this, this is not what we're talking about, of friendships. We're not talking about a, a friendship, you know, and just at, at work, if that's the case, or, or in the neighborhood, but one that, that says, I want to connect with you in a, in a significant way where we can trust each other, where we have very similar goals and values, where we can hold each other to a point of accountability, you know, our, our feet over a fire, where we can respect and admire each other, and we can go into life like that so as, again, in using Aristotle words, uh, friendships for, the, for goodness' sake, friendships for goodness' sake. And, and these are intentional. They're gifts from God, but they're intentional. They don't just happen. You, you have to have a conversation, and maybe it goes like this. I need a, I need a monkey <laughs> for goodness sake. There's a great relationship that's found in the Bible between Paul and Timothy, and we're going to study that for the remainder of the winter together, and we're going to look at how Paul invested in Timothy for goodness sake and, and helped Timothy to become like Christ in all of life, like he was meant to be in all of life, a man of character. 
Our, our goal at this church, at Grace Covenant Church, is that if, if you happen to be married, that your deepest and most intimate relationship would be with that person that you've said your vows to. But in addition to that, the goals at Grace Covenant Church is that every single person would have at least one or two people that they would find to be intimate friends with, someone to go through life with for goodness sake. And then third, we would like you to have someone that you could mentor in the process of becoming like Christ in all of life. And so if you look at, if you look at this is a high value here at Grace. I mean, if you look at our budget, if you look at our, our personnel, all those sorts of things where you kind of put up or shut up, our church is staffed heavy for this value of, of relationships. And so our communities, we have communities in the different stages of life, right? The seven stages of life. All of the communities are built around the idea of you maybe possibly having an opportunity to find a relationship with someone that you can go through life with. I would like to challenge you to consider coming to and joining the communities this, this remainder of the school year. Okay, there's a thing in the courtyard or in the foyer that you can get to know more about the various communities we have. But this is such an emphasis at, at church, you know, at Grace. To, do we understand what it means to be a disciple? That our children's ministry, first through fifth grade, then it picks up with a, our junior high ministry and then our high school ministry and all the communities are going to be looking at this idea of the purpose of the church. Make disciples. Be a disciple. Be like Christ in all areas of life. That's what we want to do. We're going to all go through this together so we can kind of learn all of this together. It's a value here. It's a priority. Become like Christ. You need to find a friend. Pray for this. You need to find a friend where you can go and say, I, you say, I, want, to, I want to change. I want to be a person that changes. I want you to be the person that can hold me to these values. I want you to be the person in my life that will tell me the truths of life so that I might live by truth and not by lies. That you can teach me to take every thought captive and demolish the lies that are ruling me. Those are the two. You want to be like Christ in all of life? You want to be a disciple? You're going to need truth. You're going to need relationship. You're going to need the spirit. Real change, it's a miracle. The older I get, the more convinced I am, I don't know how to explain change. I, I, I'm, I'm running out of vocabulary, because not because there's too many vocab. I don't understand it. I don't understand why people change or how people change, and I attach this. It's a miracle. The Spirit of God has to come in and do something in a human soul or it won't happen, not real change. And here's the, here's the things. These are just my words. Um, I'm, I'm trying to make it understandable. But here's the problem with the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Okay? He is allergic to pride. He just, he just can't, like, be in the room with it. And when a person's proud, I mean, I can't, I, I, the power of God's Spirit is, is, is somehow bridled with ego. And so change doesn't happen. Uh, let me put it another way. 
the Spirit of God is, uh, I mean all this in great respect, we're talking about God here, but he's polite, like to a fault. I mean, he, he, the Spirit of God is like, if, if he feels like, you know, you're kind of buttoned in, you know, you, you can do the kitchen, you know. He can cook or you can cook, but you can't use him to help you cook. If you want to drive, you can drive. He's just so polite. And so what I have, what I have found is that you can't enjoy the supernatural, miraculous power of change that the Spirit has for you until you give up. You have, to, you, you have to just quit trying and, 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 and say the words. I mean, it's all in the Bible. Thy will be done. Just thy will be done. I don't care anymore. You do it. There's a... Let me just, Sometimes this might help a little better. It's like a, a story sometimes help. Because, I, again, clearly I'm having difficulty describing this. So 35 to 40, that's when we do our little Sisyphus interpretations where we push a rock up a hill just to watch it roll down for eternity. If you've been there yet, 35 to 40 years old. And then add a couple children, maybe. Throw those in there. You know, needy children. Maybe a sick spouse. Maybe a long-term sick spouse. Perfect. Okay. Everywhere you look, everywhere you look, there's a straw in your soul sucking the life out of you. There it is. There's life for you. And then you, 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 you keep trying to change and you keep trying to do better, but it's not working. And the more you try, the worse it gets. Then there's all these temptations about just saying, this is stupid. I'm going to chunk this. I want to live for me. That's kind of dumb. That has more consequences. So you keep trying, and then you realize, i got to change, but I can't change. And, and, here's, and here's the thing. You don't want to change because then life will get better. You don't want to change because maybe life will get easier. You want to change for God's sake. You're starting to realize you're seeing what's really inside of you. And then you'll say this. I don't know how to say this, but... You're going to say in the healthiest way you can ever say this. You'll say, dear God, I hate me. I just hate everything about me. And I can't stop me from being me. See, spirit change is like salvation change. There's this surrender. Just this, I, I, I have to get out of the equation for the equation to work. And when, when you do that, when you get to that point, congratulations, you're on step one. And now the Spirit of God says, him being a gentleman, overly polite, Smells no ego or pride in the room. He comes in and he changes you. It just, it just happens. And it's this grace that transforms you. And then you pick up your Bible where truth is 
and you're reading passages, and all of a sudden you know what they mean, not what they say. So this is what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. Oh, then generally you take a look around and you do an inventory of your friends and you realize not all of them are going to make the cut. And you find two, maybe, and you say, I want to be like Christ in all of life. I quit. You want to join me? That's what it means. That's what the, the spirit part, it's, it's a mystery. I can only tell you stories about how it works. I don't know how to lead you there. Well, I can lead you there, but I can't. That's, that's, that's my story. That's my story. Honest to goodness. Most of my life, I have never liked being me. I mean, when I, you know, the early years, it made sense. I li- I've lived most of my life with regret and guilt. And for good reasons, because the pirate years, days, they lasted way too long. And I did a lot of things that I regret. Still live with those regrets and that guilt. But later on, when I started following Christ, I started still having a tremendous amount of regret and a tremendous amount of guilt. And I, I you know, I gave it over to having an overzealous Catholic mother, you know, and that, you know, that whole thing, right? And it's the way I was raised. So... Right? Does it make it true? It's the way I am. Maybe I'm bent that way. Doesn't matter. It's not the way I was meant to be. And so, wherever I've been, I've always wanted to be or felt like I needed to be somewhere else. And so, um, so when I was at work, I always felt like I needed to be at home because I needed to be a better father. And when I was at home with a father, being a father, I felt like I should be at work because I could be doing a better job. And so, with the, again, the energy that I'm running, the fuel that I run on is guilt and regret. Now, when you run on guilt and regret, you, that spills over in everybody else's life. And so you judge other people and you're impatient with other people and you're mostly angry all the time. Got a primary emotion, it's anger. And I could never, I could not change this in me until I started taking every thought captive and, dem- and, and saying, I got to demolish some of this stuff. And the person I brought into my life for that was, was my wife, Melinda. And I said, hey, look, let's, let's look at Matt, this guilt-ridden, regret-driven human soul that's so broken. And let's do what we can to make him like Christ in all of life. And so since my compass was broken and bent on guilt... She said, I will be your compass. I will tell you the truth, and I will tell you when you're too much time at work or you're too much time at home, and don't let this hurt you. And then, and you are a good husband. She gave me this watch, and on the back of it, it says, I made a wish, and you came true. So I'm just, I'm just here to tell you my story. And it's a story that's common here. And I don't know if I could have done it without this church because this church is where this happens. It was truth plus relationship plus a miracle from God. That's what we want.
That's the goal of this church, that everyone would be a disciple, that everyone would be part of making disciples. So here's my challenge for you. What's your next step? Just maybe your next step is just regular attendance. You know, just start coming to church, you know, as much as you possibly can. Once a week, let's see what happens when you come together in the mystery of what's called the local church and see what's happened when you do that with the beauty and the wonder and amazement of a part of something that's bigger than any of us. And then maybe your next step is to get more involved in one of our communities, to reach out, learn how to make friends, give grace, receive grace, become part of a fold, be part of a fellowship, be part of a family. I challenge you to do that this year. Let's do everything we can to be a disciple, to be like Christ in all of life. Lord Jesus, we lift up our lives to you. Let the lives we have, the lives we meant to have. We'd ask that your spirit would convict us, cause us to desire us to have great things. The abundant life that you promised and you talked about is there. Lord, I'd ask that you would help us apply this passage, what we need to do. What do we need to do next? Pursue truth and take those thoughts captive. Find a great friend in life and be a great friend. And if maybe quit. Get to that place of self-hatred that's healthy. Really, we lift up this church. I'd ask that this church would be filled with people that are disciples. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.